0: What rock group has four men that do not sing? Mount Rushmore. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid my mother told me I could be anyone anyone I wanted to be. It turns out identity theft is a crime. Dad jokes. (laughs) All right. We've made it through the long journey of First Kings. (laughs) Now we're beginning our long journey through Second Kings. So let's go ahead and... uh, By the way, I've been watching um, Fox Nations, who is Hunter Biden deal does anybody have a Passion Translation, Autumn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We Yes, yeah. And uh, I was in the Proverbs this morning. Let's see. And it was... Uh, 31 to the end, but in a passion it says, uh, Don't act like bullies or learn their ways. Every violent thug is despised by the Lord, but every tender lover finds friendship with God and will hear his intimate secrets. The wicked walk under God's constant curse, but godly lovers walk under a stream of blessing, and for they seek to do what is right. If you walk with the mockers, you will learn to mark, mock, but God's grace and favor flow to the meek. Stubborn fools fill their lives with disgrace, but glory and honor rest upon the wise." So there's a few things in here, but in that series, it shows um, how depraved, um, I mean, really the family, but Hillam in particular, a lot of wounding, his mother, you know, died in a car crash, and then like a few days later, or the next day, his dad started running, so he barely saw him after that. And so he's basically an orphan. Um, that's what he feels like. But anyway, I mean, wicked, terrible things, um, that this show, you know, brings out. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that they finally confirmed is there is a text between Hunter Biden and, um, what was that guy's name? He used to be on Fox. I can't remember what his name was. But anyway, they were talking about uh, Joe Biden's dementia. So everyone knew that was, what, 2008, 2019, that he has dementia. And so they put him in office anyway, so you got to wonder why. Um, but the word wicked here in verse 33 means actively bad person, which I thought was interesting. So it's like an active wickedness. And then um, the word violent, thug, in the original language is a perverse person, and despised is disgusted. So a perverse person is disgusted by the Lord. Um, An actively bad person walks under his constant curse. Now, you have to filter this through, of course, Jesus Christ, because he died for all of them, all the violence. But I'm just... Bringing out a couple of things. Um, stubborn fool means stupid or uh, silly. And then the word disgrace um, is a, I, I had never heard of this word. It's penunda, I think is what it is. And it means that their genitals will be exposed, which literally happened with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he decided to do that. Mm-hmm. And then in the uh, New King James, it's promotion that they'll they'll be promoted to disgrace basically or they'll be exposed and um, that word promotion means um, well and disgrace also means confusion which I think we see that in this administration but um, promotion means to get high now we know it's not referring to drug abuse but I thought that was very interesting but when I was reading this you know like we've been talking about perspective and I'm like okay Lord I want your perspective because I don't think there's a human on the planet that's not been abused in some form or fashion. You know, I mean, all of us have either through uh, a teacher, a parent, a sibling, even kids, maybe we've abused ourselves, you know, I mean, there's just, you know, different areas. But some choose to be wicked and then some choose to accept Jesus, right? And so with Hunter understanding the picture of probably why he's the way he is, but also balancing that out with the fact that he has choices, um, that's why, you know, the Lord's throne is on righteousness and justice, and then mercy and truth are always before him. So the reason that he's a righteous judge is he knows the why, but he also knows the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of chances and opportunities he gives people okay so with all that being said i thought it was a very interesting picture that our country is now being ran by this type of um people but also the grace of jesus because in the pictures like you know, if you have the pictures of him on the cross or in movies he has a loincloth around him right but we know he did not so he took our shame he took our disgrace. He got about as shameful and as disgraced as you could get. So we don't have to carry that. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because I thought that was a, like a picture of two different choices. You know? And, and then I also thought it was interesting when I asked the Holy Spirit, how should I view this? Because I'm disgusted as well by what... He's done and does um, like even sleeping with his brother's wife. Uh, that was what got John the Baptist's head, right? And and then you know the fact that they just did drugs and had sex for days and days and days, and bribed um, the Bidens to support him because basically Hunter Biden has been prostituted out by his family to China and the Ukraine for money. And there's evidence of it. So if you're the black sheep of the family in your mind and you're an orphan and then you're prostituted out, I I could see how you wouldn't feel loved at all. So it's a very interesting thing where the Lord is despised by that yet Jesus took his shame. So in Jesus' name, he will he's not too far gone and he will be born again and spirit-filled. So, I wanted to update you on that. I thought that was very interesting. So, we're going into um, chapter 1 of Second Kings, and I'm just going to read you from the notes of the introduction that is out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, Second Kings continues the saga of disobedience begun in First Kings, opening about 850 BC, with the conclusion of Elijah's prophetic ministry in Israel, and in the beginning of the work of his successor, Elisha, Israel spired downward in faithfulness, ultimately being defeated and dispersed by the Assyrians in 722. And then Judah, the southern kingdom, had several <coughs> kings who did trust God and the attempted uh, reforms. But after many years of God's warnings through Isaiah and other prophets, Judah's sins were pu- punished by Babylonian conquest starting in 605. And then the fall of Jerusalem was in 586. I believe it was August, August of some, I'm not sure which day, of 586. The people were exiled to Babylon for 70 years, as prophesied by Jeremiah in 2910. And then God remained faithful to his covenant despite his people's faithlessness. The author of 2 Kings is unknown. Okay, so we've seen where God is basically executing his judgment by handing Ahab and his family over to the destroyer, correct? Uh, So we know now, uh, and me and Kent were discussing this Friday, that based on the four, and I keep repeating this, but we've got to understand God does not kill people. And the problem is the, the English and how they've translated Hebrew and Greek words makes it appear that just God is going around wiping out entire, you know, people and people groups and, you know, others, I mean, all this stuff. So we understand that the first two levels of discipline are teaching and then padea, which remember, padea is teaching and doing. So it's like in school, you learn algebra and then you have to do it. You learn spelling and then you have to memorize what all those things are. They require practice. And so bad things are not our discipline. The Word is our discipline, right? So the Father speaks to us through the written Word and also spoken Word, Logos and Rama, and He encourages us strongly when we're being stinkers. <laughs> you know, so the, the the best case scenario is you're regularly in the Word, you're learning who you are in Christ, and then as you are, remember we picked this up Friday, as you're fascinated By the picture he presents to you of who you are, right? That's James chapter 1 in the Passion. As you're captured, your attention, wow, I am no longer a sinner. I'm no longer defeated. What? I mean, all those things, they begin to fascinate you. And then anything that would have drawn you away before loses its appeal. So shiny objects are no longer shiny objects. They're eat objects. Okay? All right. So then, however, if we refuse to cooperate with Holy Spirit in that model of discipline, then the heat will be turned up a little bit, right? So you'll start having people, you know, talking with you, hey, you know, you're hurting our relationship. All of a sudden you're hearing the same thing around you, and you're beginning to feel... Uh, like a resistance that maybe you've not had. And we saw that with the kings where everything was fine and then the minute Solomon started worshiping other gods, then enemies started coming out of nowhere. So now your circumstances are being touched. Okay? Then we have uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the guy was sleeping with his stepmother. I finally figured it out. Okay? The guy is sleeping with his stepmom. Seriously. Going to church, and no one saying a word. And so Paul's like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, there are certain things that are not allowed among the people of God. They even, people that don't know God wouldn't do. That's what he said. And so this guy needs to be turned over to Satan, right? Delivered over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that maybe he can go to heaven. So, you know, at this point, it's kind of up in the air. And so what that is is actually an act of mercy, because we know that when a person is delivered to the jurisdiction, so it's just like if I get arrested, I'm no longer, like as a minor, I'm no longer under my parents' care. I've now been arrested and I'm being delivered over to the legal system, right? So the judge, if I'm convicted, will then deliver the sentence. In Christianity, when you're delivered over to the evil one, it's actually you're excommunicated from the fellowship or the flock. Therefore, you no longer have the safety in numbers. So now you're given over to the jurisdiction of the one who still kills and destroys, not God. So that's how all of that works. But then what does God do? Is he sitting up there like, about time, (laughs) you know? Absolutely not. Because Jesus says that when there's one that's weak or sickly, right, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. So when you're in the fellowship and no one's saying, hey, you probably should not be sleeping with your stepmom. Okay. You know, when no one does that, then they'll continue in that lifestyle thinking it's okay But once that person is excommunicated, their heart begins to miss family, if you are a family, which is kind of rare uh, in today's church system. But if you're a family and you feel it, you miss your people. If you're not stubborn and prideful, you'll begin to allow that. Someone's knocking. I don't think it's Jesus. I think we're okay. He's inside. But... Uh, you'll start feeling that desire to be with your family, and then you'll also start feeling the spankings you're beginning to get in life. And if you humble yourself, you can then be returned to the flock. If not, you'll probably end up dead. It's that simple. Now, this isn't for all sin. There's specific sins that are listed uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 that you excommunicate someone. But we do know that the wages or the payment for sin is death. So whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, if you continue in sin, you will eventually have to pay for that sin. And it can be death for relationships, your physical body, your finances, whatever it is. But in Christ, once we repent, it's as if nothing ever happened. Okay, so with that being said, I like to preface, because God gets blamed for a lot of stuff he has nothing to do with. So if you look at Ananias and Sapphira, The only example I know of in the New Testament where the Apostle said, when did you think it was a good idea to light a Holy Ghost? Right? So, what did Jesus tell the Apostles? He said, you have the power to remit sin or to keep it. What was that? That is a governmental authority. So, he's saying, when you're doing church discipline, that is in your power. It doesn't mean you have an unforgiving heart toward the person, but it does mean that you are the one that will determine what happens. So, he said, you're going to drop dead. That was the decree. They were instantly turned over to the destroyer. You see what I mean? Wife comes in, tries to do the same thing. Well, you're about as dead as your husband. Bam, drops dead. Now, I've gone into this as to why there was such a severe, okay, response to what happened. And we know that Barnabas and others had sold land and they were taking all of the proceeds and putting it at the apostles' feet to disperse to the widows and the orphans in the church. They were in competition, selfish ambition and envy, and they wanted to look like they were as giving as Barnabas, and so the Lord had to cut that out immediately because you cannot, it was gonna, it threatened the embryo, right, of what God was doing. And so that was just cut out instantly. So now we have this judgment against Ahab. Okay, so God says, everybody, you and all of your descendants are going to die. I'm going to wipe out your entire line off of the face of the earth. Now, as we're going to see, he didn't need to do anything because they started killing themselves off. It's very interesting. Once you're under a judgment from the Lord and you've been handed over to the destroyer, it's like you actually start cooperating with the destroyer to destroy your own family line. So we're going to get into that, but that's where we are here in 2 Kings. So in verse 1, it says, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers, telling them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord, so he's talking to an angel, said to Elisha the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel? that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you're not gonna come down from the bed to which you have gone up, you're gonna die. So Elijah went and he met the messengers. Now this was a huge insult to God. If you can think of an arch nemesis to God, it would be Beelzebub, okay? So um, the word Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. And he was a a Philistine uh, god in the city of Ekron, so that's why they were going there. Now Ekron, I think it was previously captured by the tribe of Dan, but at this point it was back into the Philistines' hands. We need to remember that the entire purpose of driving out the ice in Canaan was number one to deal with giants, but number two to drive out their gods. And here they are not only letting them back in, and they're losing land, but they're now seeking counsel counsel from them. I mean, it is unbelievable what is going on here. And uh, so now we've got here in Leviticus, I put it in your notes, uh, 18, 24 through 28, uh, where it says, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out from before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Flies are attracted to unclean. Dead bodies, waste, excrement, vomit, anything you can think of that's disgusting, flies are drawn to. And they can smell it, like something. I don't know what it is, but I've talked to you guys about on the Civil War, where the minute the battle's over, you can hear the roar of the flies coming to the battlefield of the dead bodies. It's like a cloud. So that's the picture, and this guy is going to ask Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, of whether he is going to be killed. Well, and I
1: Mm -hmm. think, and also, vomit is not a passive Mm -mm. action; Mm -mm. it's a violent. I mean, you know, we've all vomited, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't. It's never pleasant, and it's never pleasant, and it is a force. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes
1: doesn't dribble out. You know,
0: out. just that image. <laughs> I think we need to do that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Uh, <laughs> but yes, it's absolutely correct.
0: So then you have uh, <laughs> engin- a engine uh, revelation I
1: will spew you out spew. Mhm. Yeah. Very
0: Which by the way, he doesn't want us cold. So if you ever want to know that, it's not he doesn't want us cold. Um uh okay, so in uh, Genesis 15:13 through 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They're going to be afflicted for 400 years. Now that's referring to the Egyptian slavery. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried in a good old age. And then they're going to come back here in the fourth generation. Why? Why is there a delay? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, why does he mention the Amorites? Because there are Canaanites, Hittites. I mean, there's all kinds of ites, right? Well, Amorite is a mountain dweller, in the Assyrian it's Amaru they're called a son of Canaan in Genesis 10:16, and one of the chief people dispossessed by the Israelites now in Amos 2 9 it says yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars and who was as strong as the oaks I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath hmm. they're giants
1: okay
0: yeah. so the amorites were nephilim which we and i'm gonna get a little bit deep here <laughs> so but they were so the nephilim were in the flood right so let's let's go on down in genesis 6 1 through 4 when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them the sons of God which always always refers to angels in the Old Testament always there's not one instance where it refers to humans or Israel so angels saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as, as their wives any that they chose then the Lord said My spirit will not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. So his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, that's a Hebrew word, were on the earth in those days. Now this little phrase right here, and also afterward. Okay, it's important to remember that because it will explain why there were giants again later. So, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Okay, so basically you've got these angels that were not fallen, right? They were the watcher angels, 200 of them, that were sent to educate man in the ways of God. But instead of doing that, they were attracted to the daughters and like, hey, we'll go ahead and we're going to break the law of nature and we're going to have uh, offspring. Those offspring were called Nephilim, men, of old men of renown which is where i think zeus and all All of those things came from okay but i can't prove that in scripture now if we have the amorites who are post-flood they're giants if you look at the nations that god told them to destroy completely all the people men women children and even animals is because they had giants And then he said, don't mess with Edom because they're killing giants, okay? So there were other nations that were getting rid of these giants. But we see here, we've got some more uh, Nephilim uh, action going on. And that's where the phrase also afterward comes in because the creation of Nephilim has been repeated in the Old Testament. And we're not sure how many times, but, the only nations, I would challenge you to prove me wrong, that God said to kill off, he was wanting them to kill off giants. Right. So that's where you're like, people are like, well, God, you know, he's mean and he, he did genocide. No. Now, Noah, Noah was perfect in all his generations. The word generations and perfect mean, means his bloodline was not perverted. He was the only bloodline at that time that was not perverted. So the Lord's like, okay, this is getting out of hand. I'm going to have to, number one, shorten the time span of, of humans, and I'm going to have to flood the earth to get rid of these giants because they were extremely wicked. I think they were probably even messing with animals and all oh, kinds of crazy stuff, right? Animals, yeah. Okay, so the flood wasn't just because man. The flood was the bloodline was perverted. Why was the bloodline perverted? To prevent Jesus Christ. Yeah. To prevent the seed. Okay? Now I know
1: I like talking about giants,
0: all kinds of stuff. So you know. So uh, you know it's just never normal. You know, every time it you know someone has not been here before it's crazy stuff that's stopped. But you're aware. So we've got this situation going on. We've got the Lord saying you guys are going to be in Egypt until the iniquity of the Amorites or the Amaru, the giants, have been fulfilled, okay? Now, um, back to Beelzebub. And I say all that to say that you've, if you are an instrument of judgment in the Old Testament to people groups, right? So they were told to go into the promised land for the specific purpose of getting rid of the Amaru. Then if you adopt the paganism of the very culture that you go in to destroy, then you are now more guilty because you had knowledge that they did not possess. Okay? So that's why I like when you look at the great healing revival of the 50s, they were held more accountable because they now knew they had the revelation of healing. They were used in that regard. And yet God had to withdraw that anointing for a time because they were glorying in their own flesh and being selfishly ambitious and mistreating people. And so God's like, cut it off. Now, we still have healing today, but you know what I mean? That was a revival. That was from, well, you know, Azusa Street, Welsh, Azusa, or Wells, Azusa Street, all the way down to 1940s, 1950s, Oral Roberts being one of the last ones to operate in it, okay? So now we had like a, 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 a knee-jerk reaction that occurs when a move of God is misused and harms people versus helping people. And it creates a vacuum effect where the land that was taken, is you have to retreat. And then what was once a place of blessing is now a place for demons. You see what I'm saying? So that's what we're dealing with here. And that's why it's so astounding that they would do this. Um, Another example of a famous Nephilim was uh, Goliath. And he had five other brothers, or four other brothers. That's why David got five stones. And, uh, okay, so now we've got, back to this Be- Beelzebub thing, you have Ahaziah that's consulting with the Lord of the Flies versus the Lord. Now, I did not know this until I researched it, that the name Beelzebub, or Beelzebub was actually a mockery. That's what the Israelites named this god. That wasn't his real name. They called him Beelzebub. Uh, to mock him because the the god of Ekron's real name was actually Lord of the High Places, or Exalted Lord. So it would have been Bel Zabul, or Zabul. Okay, Zabul. <laughs> <So small. laughs> but they instead use the word flies of Zabub. Okay. So there's not any direct evidence to support it, but that's one of the things that uh, scholars think. Now, some people um, in their research, they they think that Beelzebub was actually a health god that was warding off pestilence that can spread through flies. So here's what I'm wondering happened. Ahaziah must have had some type of balance issue. I'm not sure, but anyway, he fell out of the lattice. He fell to the ground. I'm wondering if he had a sore or sores, wounds that weren't healing and that he had gained green. That's what I'm wondering. And flies were messing with him, and he couldn't get rid of it, and so he went to the God that's supposed to be over health, pestilence, blah, blah, that maybe would combat what was going on. So that might be what was going on there. Um, now, with this understanding, we're actually, I know this is a little bit unusual because we usually spend more time in Kings, but we're going to fast forward to Jesus's day. Okay? And I'm going to read you several scriptures. They're in your notes. But Matthew 10.25, okay, so now that we understand Beelzebub, you'll understand how bad the insult to the Lord was when the Pharisees called him that. So in uh, Matthew 10.25, it says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And then in 12.22-24, through 24, A demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Now remember, that was a messianic term, but the Pharisees, when they heard it, they said, No, it is only Belzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. They're calling him unclean. Now that was a big deal, right? They were all about and the washings and all this stuff. And then you have in uh, Mark 3.22 and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul the prince of demons while others detest him kept seeking uh, from him a sign. Okay by Jesus' time Beelzebub was actually a title of Satan. So, they're saying he's possessed by Satan, they're saying he is Satan, or they're saying he's unclean like Satan. And uh, so, they were saying that his anointing was from Satan, the source of his power, not the Holy Spirit.
1: (coughs) Down at the footnotes there on the Passion, it says Beelzebub could also mean Lord of Tricks or Trickster. Okay. So, maybe they thought he was tricking them. Tricking
0: people? All right, so this is why, number one, Jesus said, okay, first of all, what you're thinking of me can't be correct because it would actually be dividing his own house if Satan was casting out devils, right. you know. Uh, so that doesn't make any sense. And second, what they did is they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And uh, he said that is an unpardonable sin. You you can pretty much do anything but blaspheme the Holy Spirit is an instant t- ticket to hell. So the I- insult was extreme, especially concerning the history of this quote-unquote God and then all the implications when they said it. Okay, so back to um, 1 Kings 5 through 8. and I, 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 That's why I like reading the scriptures line upon line because now we have context, more in, in a deeper context, of what was going on uh, in, in, you know, the story of Jesus and the epistles. Okay, so the messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said, Well, there came a man to meet us, and he said, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, Therefore, you will not come from down from the bed from which you have gone, but you will die. And he said, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they said he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he uh, said, Oh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. You know, John the Baptist wore hair. I guess it's kind of a prophet thing. I don't know. Um, wear camel's hair and eat bugs. I guess that's how, you know.
1: How you know you a prophet?
0: Have that look. Yes, and grow, uh, grow a bodacious uh, beard. Okay. So basically, he's got a death sentence, but the king's not happy. So the king sent uh, to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill. <laughs> basically, he's waiting for him, right? And said, "Oh, man of God, the king says, come down." But Elijah. Uh, the captain of 50 said, if a, if I am a man of God, God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Well, fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, this right here, this story, is key to understanding the disciples wanting to call down fire from heaven. Okay? So then in verse 11, so the king sent him another captain of 50 men with his 50. Oh, uh, man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah said, Well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. So then the fire came down and consumed him and his 50. Again, the captain, this time he sent a third 50 with his 50. And the third captain, the 50, went up, said the same thing, but then he's like, Hey, Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. In other words, you know, I really don't want to be here. I have to follow orders. I've already seen you do your barbecue twice. I, I do not want to be the fuel, right? So please don't do that. And then, behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains, but now let it be precious in your sights. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go on down, don't be afraid. So he arose and he went down with him to the king and said to him thus says the lord because you've sent messengers blah, blah blah there's no god you're gonna die now let me point out something here this is crazy the angel of the lord refers to whom
1: Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. and then they had a little chit chat later right him and elijah and moses on the mount of transfiguration these prophets knew the lord that's why they would search In the scriptures to try to see what timing he was going to come so the angel of the lord is standing right there with him giving him direction to send fire down from heaven now fast forward you've got the disciples they know jesus is the messiah that's why they said do you want us to call down fire from heaven where were they at samaria the same location Elijah is at. Isn't that interesting? So does it give you some context? You know, they were just like, "Hey, you know, we're so powerful now. We can just call down fire. Would you like us to do that?" That wasn't that wasn't exactly what was going on. Now they might have been a little too big for their britches, but it wasn't the bravado and the ego that was maybe as much as we thought it was. Okay, and uh, so then. Uh, verse 17 through 18, So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Spoken. <laughs> spoken. And then Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, uh, also became king because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of uh, Ahaziah and what he did are not written in the book of Chronicles, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so let's just peek at Luke nine fifty one through 56. Uh, because I I do want to read this. Okay, so when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then he sent messengers ahead of him and they went and they entered uh, a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, okay? Now, the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now, what's happening? Why are they mad? Well, there, there's an ancient dialogue and, and um, division. For the Samaritans, they had the mountain that they were supposed to worship, worship on. Remember, Jeroboam set up an entire religious system. Jerusalem had the true dwelling place of God. So because he was going to Jerusalem, they're all offended and hurt because he's basically dismissing their religious system, which he needed to because it was fake. It opened up the entire door. So basically, this is a a religious dispute. So they're mad. We don't want him here because he's going (coughs) to Jerusalem instead of uh, to our mountain. So when the sons of thunder saw it, which were James and John, they said, Lord, would you like us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) But he turned and rebuked them, and so they went to another village. Okay, so here we've got Samaria, an epicenter of religious dispute and idolatry for the Israelites. So with the the history we've been studying, I'm sure you can see how scandalous it was that Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman, how crazy the parable of the good Samaritan was, and then the motivation behind James and John to call fire down from heaven. So the spirit of the disciples in the question was a religious motivation, not a righteous motivation. Okay? So they were like, hey, they've been causing us problems all these times. Let's just call down fire from heaven. Alright, so then in the amplified it says, but he turned and rebuked and severely censured them. Censored them. He said you don't know what sort of spirit you are for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them from the penalty of eternal death and so then they journeyed to another village they got caught up in the religious division that's why Paul kept saying you don't get into religious debate don't get into this law and all this stuff you got to stay out of it because then you'll get caught up in that spirit but when it says he severely censored them guys He chewed them out, up one side and down the other, because at this point, they should have known why he was here. He told them over and over. Okay, so we're in a new dispensation, and that's kind of what I was alluding to in the Proverbs I read you guys about the Bidens this morning. Well, the Proverbs weren't about the Bidens, but you know what I mean. They could be applied. You've got to view the Old Testament through perfect theology, which is the person of Jesus. And so you've got to allow him to show you what that looks like now. If not, you're going to think, you know, kill them all, Lord. <laughs> Wipe them all out. Kill all of them. You know, that's not what we're about. It doesn't mean, however, the, di- the, the, the talk, the clock, the clock is ticking down. So we do know that. But he is extremely long suffering, the Father. Okay, so we've got this new dispensation. Jesus is not going to destroy his religious critics and enemies. He came to save them. So we've got to make sure that we understand that. On the other side, just a little history here, verified history. I don't know which one, but you got Ananias and Caiaphas, the the ones that got him crucified, right? Okay, one of them was filleted to death post-Jesus, and the other one was crucified upside down. I don't
1: remember which one. I think Caiaphas was probably filleted at. I think so. I think there's a statue of him somewhere. It looks like folds of of material, but it's actually skin. His skin.
0: Why? This is crazy, because... I'm not sure if it was Augustus, but one of the Caesars had heard about a man who was coming of light that was a god, and... He was on a search for this man who was God. And during the time, uh, there were some rumors that Jesus was that one. So the Caesar was very interested in him to see if he was a god. And then they killed him. And so the Caesar was very mad. So the the order for Ananias and Caiaphas' death was from the Caesar. Also, Pilate, he was already at, like, the worst place you could be. The Caesar found an even worse place to send Pilate. So he got in trouble. All of them got in trouble because the Caesar wondered if they killed God. Is that not incredible? Yeah. So this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's going on here. So even though Jesus said, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing, that forgiveness did not negate the judgment that would come if they did not repent. Okay? So our job is to bless our enemies. The Hebrew mindset of blessing is it's a legal term that opens a legal door to For God to go in and influence that person, so they can be transformed and believe in Him.
1: Well, I think it's interesting because He goes to, um, you know, they turn Him away, Mm -hmm. uh, and then later He makes this Samaritan the good guy. Yep, He's the good Samaritan. He makes him the hero of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: He's very good. That's why (laughs) one of the things with wisdom is that you're He can be crafty or cunning, but in a good way, not like the enemy. Okay. Now, final thing, Revelation 4, 1 through 6. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pills of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And then in Revelation 5, 8, we're at the same scene, okay? But I just fast-forwarded. When he had opened the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down beho- uh, before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay, so let me tell you what's happening here. The, the scene here is a convening of the Supreme Court of Heaven." So Sanhedrin means Supreme Court. So the Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court of Israel. There, uh, I don't know if it's here or later on in Revelation, but I was curious about a word, and it may have been court. I don't know if that was the word or not. I looked it up, and, and, and the scene was, a court had been convened. So it might even be in this passage. And in the the Greek, it is Sanhedrin. So, there's a heavenly Sanhedrin, and then they had an earthly one, right? So, Father is convening his court. And what is he about to do? Well, if you look in verse 8, they're holding a harp, right? There's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints the prayers of the saints kick off tribulation. So all that to say that we will at times be asked to decree a verdict of God, okay? There may be times we are to pray in a verdict of judgment, uh, whatever that is. And so the, the bowl got full enough where now it was time to call uh, the court together and God is going to release his judgments on the earth. This is the last three and a half years. So that's what happens is all of a sudden the scroll is opened and then bam, bam, bam. It just kicks off this entire chain of events for the final unveiling of Jesus Christ as a true king. So, the judgments of the Lord or in the earth are kicked off by our prayers and, and we must not have mercy where judgment is required and we must not have judgment where mercy is required. Okay, so we've got to be very careful. This is going to take um, mature people of God, right? And then in Luke, it might be chapter 17. This, uh, this passage in Luke is directly tied to this Passage in Revelation. Um, let me see. Uh, hmm. It's the the one where it says, "Oh, the parable of the persistent widow." Okay, Luke eighteen. And let's look at verse uh, seven. And will not God give justice to his elect or saints who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That is this in Revelation 4. It's 24-hour prayer that provokes the tribulation, the opening of the seal. Isn't that interesting? And then the word speedily, uh, will he delay? Uh, the word speedily means this. Once that trigger occurs, once you light whatever, you got that trigger, once that happens, it things are going to move really, really fast. So it's not that he's going to be quick from that point to that point, it's that once the trigger starts, it is gonna be really, really fast and there will be no delay whatsoever, okay? So I find it very interesting um, that we actually, we kick off the last three and a half years, not the enemy. Isn't that interesting? So anyway, 24-hour prayer, guys, is a sign. And what terrifies me is where God, in human flesh, asks, will I find faith when I return? I don't like that question. You know what I mean? I, I don't like that. That makes me nervous. I don't know. Why are... You know...
1: Like <laughs> throws Yes, it
0: does. Because we're actually that. here. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't know. You should know. Will you find faith? So that's... uh, Yeah, that's a little disconcerting. I can tell you that much.
1: I okay. have. It kind of goes, it goes right here along with this, but um, I was listening. I don't even know who to do. But they made a comment. They said, when Jesus came and said, who do people say I am? And the answer was, some say you're Elijah. Right. Some say you're um, John. One of the prophets, yeah. yep. John the Baptist. And they said, well, what did John and Elijah have in common? Well, they were kind of firebrands. And so he said, you know, that's a people do not want to look at Jesus. With the spine. Right. Well, let's put it that way. Right. They want to look that Jesus is all love and, you know, mushy gushy, mm-hmm. you know. And sloppy, and but the me. fact that people said he's Elijah. Uh mm-hmm. huh. Well, if he was, they were looking at his character as long as well as the miracles. Right. And that, and right. The things that he had said, the things that he had done. He was harsh to the ones he needed to be harsh to, and he was loving to the ones, you know.
0: It's the kindness and the That's severity, right. of and the Lord. we know John
1: didn't mince any words. <laughs> you know, he was like, "Who told like, you to come to my service?" Yeah, you're going to go to <laughs> hell. You just stay health. over there with all these other Bipers? guys. You know, and so um, I just thought it was interesting. I think that fleshes out um, Jesus a little bit more. Absolutely, yeah. Because I mean. <coughs>
0: Like if you see most of the pictures, he's <clears throat> pale, he's small, and, you know, you just picture him being slow motion And he's always and really tender. Yes. He, <laughs> yeah, I mean, always. he had to be pretty stout, he had to be pretty fit to go up to Jericho. That's no joke as far as a hike. Um, but also, I mean, you've got repeated examples of him chewing people out, even his own disciples. You've got him. I mean, with the religious people, it was like, "Woe this and woe that," and you're a son of hell, and your disciples are mm-hmm. twice as of hell as you are, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and then you've got the whip. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so there's the maturity according to Romans 11 is to know the kindness and the severity of the Lord. Uh, we got to know what, but even kindness was displayed. the The Greek definition, like I've said over and over, of kindness was displayed using the whip. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. That was an example of the Greek idea of kindness. So it's, I think, for people that maybe err on the side of Ray to, you know, probably need to go to the kindness a little bit more. And then the people are like, oh, probably need to go to the, you know. So it's definitely a balance of making sure we
1: hear Holy Spirit and what he is saying. And I think many Christians have got out of balance of who God is, Jesus is, mm-hmm. and they only look at the, I mean, not that he's not merciful, but you can't just, just look at that.
0: Yeah, And then we know some that only looked at him as a tough guy. Right. You know,
1: and they well, abused people. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was uh, very interesting and I hadn't really, I mean, I knew that they'd answered that, but I didn't really
0: connect they, it with connect John and Elijah
1: because of they that the fact that they did connect that yeah. there was something in his character that they can He's a little with. feisty yeah. at times well, yeah a little bit more a than little
0: straightforward <laughs> right. right that's good that's really good anybody else any thoughts
1: a good weapon, no <laughs> no got whip them by the same ones I got to whip by. Hey, <laughs> they hurt. <laughs> I remember
0: when Kent was little and he had to get a whip. I mean, you could just see. Uh, he just didn't want it. You know, and I'd feel bad, too. And he'd try to cover, I mean, just for a little thing. It's like, the sooner you get this done, son, the sooner we can move on. And then I'd have to love on him, but... Ooh, I hated giving him whoopings, but sometimes they were necessary. A little turd didn't straighten up. All right, well, let's, let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you so much for your whoopings. We thank you that you love us. You're not like an earthly father that disciplines just because you can or just because you feel like it or for your own benefit. But instead, everything you do, all the way from teaching to requiring us to practice what we've learned to maybe touching our circumstances a little bit, Even turning one over to the enemy is all an act of mercy. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that every single thought you have toward us is good. There is not a single thought in your mind that is evil or wicked toward us. You are the God of lights, and we are your lights. You have no shadow. There is nothing evil. There is nothing wicked, nothing dark in you. And every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so, Father, we confess and decree those things this morning, but we also know that you're the lion. We know that uh, you do destroy your enemies by turning them over to the jurisdiction of destruction. We know that you will kill a lot of people when you return and set up your throne physically on earth. We do know that you're uh, the same Jesus that drove out the money changers with the whip. And so, Father, I believe my request could be summed up this morning, and we want to know all of you we don't want to know just the parts and the pieces of you that make us comfortable that make us have warm fuzzies we want to know all of you we want to know the sovereign God that when you move there is nothing stopping you and we should get out of your way if we're not going to cooperate but you're also the one that will take us to the side and hug us and love on us when we're having a difficult time So we want to know all of those aspects, the times where you look us in the eye and tell us straight up how it is, and then the times where you're a little bit more uh, gentle in your discourse. And so Father, we want to know all of those aspects of you in complete fullness as much as is humanly possible while we're on this earth. And this morning we give you our tithes and offerings uh, with no obligation, no manipulation, nor pressure at all, but out of a loyalty to who you are And the fact that Jesus is Lord over all, including the glory of nations and their wealth. And so, Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to give our tithes and offerings. And we ask that you accept them in heaven and continue to give us wisdom and insight on how to distribute your funds to those that you tell us to give to. So we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.